How many of you have ever seen a magic eye picture? Anybody seen a magic eye picture? Uh, it's a page that is covered and repeated with repeated designs that are very apparent to any viewer. The key, though, is that in order to view these stereograms is the way that you look at that. And one of the ways is that you can converge, which means that you cross your eyes. Okay, so everybody real quick, cross your eyes. I don't know how that works. But the harder one is to do the opposite, diverge your eyes, which means that you look opposite of crossings, which means you work, you look outwards. I, I don't even know how that works. But anyway, the first example, which is a fairly easy one, I, we even drew it out for you. What do we see there? A camel. Okay, so I don't know if you were cross-eyed or opposite, diverged look, but that's the camel. Okay, so started off real easy. We're only doing two because I don't want to have you guys fail. So 50-50, right? And it's more, it's more on me than anything. When I was trying to pick them out, it's like, ah, jeepers. Okay, the next one is this one. So look really close. I only have so much time this morning, so we can't spend too much time. Any guesses? A bird? Nope. It is a giraffe. It is a giraffe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you, you guys just aren't crossing your eyes quick enough. I mean, you gotta, whatever. Okay. But when we look at that picture, it's like, wow, we're, we're looking behind. You gotta be able to look behind the poster, behind the picture, or in front of it. It takes work. But in the same way, it's a lot like with God's Word. Beyond the mere words of the parables, the illustrations, the stories, the impact that we see when we study it, sometimes there, there are hidden spiritual truths. Truths like the kingdom of God is a treasure worth more than all, we, than all that we have. Or a, a spiritual truth that says God welcomes repentant sinners and with great celebration. Or God seeks the lost with love and persistence. These, these are great spiritual truths that sometimes are hidden. And, 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 and so when we think about that, and why, why are they hidden? Well, it's because you have to have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Their beauty, are worth, their beauty and worth are denied, misunderstood, or rejected by those whose eyes are blind and ears are deaf to that spiritual truth. To see and hear the hidden things of God requires those things to happen. That you have a spiritual ear. That you have a spiritual eye. Hunger for spiritual truth requires an awakened sense. And to love the things of God requires a new heart. God alone is the source of our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears. He, is al- he alone is the, the source of the undivided hearts. And only He can make the blind eyes see... The deaf ears hear, the dead taste buds hunger, and the hardened hearts soft. I love the video that we watch. Together we can change the story. Most of those stories don't normally develop out of just one cold call. Where we just go up and all of a sudden someone's asking us to pray for them. And so when we look at that, we say, okay, if that doesn't happen that way, what way, what way does it happen? Most of the moments that we saw come out of a personal investment at some point in that relationship. You see, if you were, if you were looking for a simple invitation that led them to freedom, that usually happened because you were at work with them. You were going in the battle with them. You were, you were out in the driveway 
scooping snow. Snowed yesterday. That was awesome, wasn't it? Man, I, I, I was tuning up the snowblower. I was letting it run just in case. I was going to neighbors and putting notes in the doors. I'll, I'll snow. I'll push your snow today. I mean, come on. It was awesome. We're ready for that. But, but how do you make those investments? You make those investments because it's, you're, you're, you're individually going to someone and they're seeing the difference that's going on in your life. A friend's kindness renews her faith. One of his neighbors reached out to him. A mentor's help gave confidence. I believe that when we start seeing the hidden truths as Christ followers, there are things that begin to happen in our life that are extraordinary. I believe that when we begin to see God working in that way, it, it, it builds that confidence and the Holy Spirit can continue to direct us. I'll ask you a couple of questions this morning. How did you find your way to Central? How did you find your way to come and sit and be a part? Is the reason that you're attending Central is because someone invited you? Because someone shared with you? They mentioned to you, hey, watch it online. And we'd love for you to come if you want to after you see it, you know. There's a reason why we came. And then another question is, is what, what would happen to your story, to your faith story, if you were never invited to church, if you never came to church? How would it have impacted your family? How would it have impacted your faith? How would it have impacted your life? These are, these are things that we have to understand that it, a lot of times we come to church or we're a part of church if you're a guest with us this morning, man, it's awesome. I hope that you've felt encouraged and loved so far. I hope that you know that we want you to see God for who he is, that he's real and that he's alive. And I hope that however you came, whether it was a phone call or someone asked you to come, I hope that you understand that they did it with authenticism, that they did it with hope that you would find Jesus, that you would be encouraged and so we have these, these types of things that together we can change the story. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So this morning, as we get into the message, I want to pray, and then we'll get going. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give to us. Lord, today we ask that you would guide me as I share the word. That it wouldn't be my words, Lord, but it would be yours. And Heavenly Father, we pray for that spiritual as we seek you as ears. That it would be opened that we may see your love and your mercy and your grace today. And help us, Lord Jesus, to know that through those eyes and ears that we'll have an impact to what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, open up your Bible apps, or open up the Central Church app to Ephesians chapter 2. As we consider one of the most powerful passages on the subject of grace and the change that takes place in our lives when we obey the gospel. So I've entitled the message, But God. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to draw your attention to verses 1 through 10, especially that we'll focus on verse 4. In the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul uses the first three verses and goes into great efforts 
to tell or show us the damaging and dangerous effects of sin and the effects on our lives before we accepted Christ. But then he also shines a light on God's redeeming love, his redeeming grace in the same way. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And we were dead in the trespasses and sins. Probably one of those verses that we've heard a lot. As we look at this, we see that, that we have missed the mark of God's standard for our lives. And if we would be honest with ourselves, sometimes we have messed up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Who's messed up this week? Who's messed up this morning? Who messed up coming in? But the key, the key is that we, we miss the mark of God's standard. Paul says in Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are moments that we question what sin is, but really it's what type of sin is anything that you can think of. You can think of lying, gossiping, lusting, adultery, stealing, jealousy, disobedience, mean-heartedness, evilness. Any of these things and more are sin. And Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For the word dead in Greek is necros, which literally means a corpse or dead body. And for those of you that are walking dead fans, you understand what we're talking about here. All right. So Paul, Paul is talking about a spiritual test. He's not talking about a, a physical state, but a spiritual state. And Ephesians were alive physically, but they were dead spiritually. And Paul chose this comparison because it accurately describes not only the nature of the unbeliever, but the impossibility of an unbeliever to recognize and correct his own condition. So we must, we, we have to be able to, to understand that prior to conversion, prior to you saying, I want to be a Christ follower, we were not in danger of death. We were not in danger of God's wrath and we were not st- stuck with sin. And the reason why is because we were already dead. We were dead in sin. We were, we were under God's wrath. And there was no ifs and buts about it. We were 100% dead, dead as a doornail, because we were born a sinner. We were born in the state of death. And where the confusion comes into play a lot of times is the fact that you were still walking around if you're not a Christ follower. And before you accepted Christ, you were still going to work. You were still doing your marriage. You were still having relationships. You were still doing all these things, but you were dead in sin. Without life, without hope, without peace, it is a one-way, fast-tracked journey to hell. And so point number one in your notes is, is we need a Savior because of our corruption in sin. We need a Savior because of our corruption in sin. There, there are so many aspects when we begin to realize that the corruption of sin and the things that are upon us and the challenges that we face, there's sin. And we need to know that there's a Savior. There's a, there's a God that gave His only begotten Son for us that we may have hope. And that is, that is, that's what we're looking at. In verse 2 it says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, 
in the sons of disobedience. Notice how Paul says that is that this is disobedience. We are walking according to the prince of the power of the air. I want us to be able to see that. Satan is described as the prince of this world. Satan has influence in this world. That's, that's, why, that's why Jesus is going to return. That's why the rapture is going to happen. Because Satan has control of this world. And Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to take those that are Christ followers with him. And we're going to live for eternity in heaven. But Satan is in control. And when we walk into disobedience, we are walking according to his power. And then we look at verse 2, it says, we were using the world as a guide. In other words, he says there was a time when you walked according to the influences of the sinful world. And before you were a Christ follower, those are the things that you did. That's why you did what you did, is because that's what the world said you needed to do. You can be a good person. And you can, do, you can have the greatest intentions. But you're still dead in sin if you're not a Christ follower. And the key here is that before we obeyed the gospel, we were disobedient. We were rebellious. And our lives were characterized by not obeying God. So point number two in your notes is this. We need a Savior because of our captivity to Satan. We are captive to the enemy. We are captive to the destruction of what he is doing in this world until we receive Jesus into our life. In which we used to live, the Ephesians had a radical change in their life when they became born again. Their salvation. They did not live the same way as before. And Paul implies that in every believer's life has a clear, clear change in direction after they are saved. If a person claims to have given his life to God and yet lives the exact same way, we have to go back and look about the decision that was made. Was it genuine? Was it real? And so we ask, you know, so, so the, the thing that we think about is we, we understand that we're captive to Satan, but we also have to understand that we have a need for the Savior. How do we get victory? How do we get victory in those moments where we're captivated by Satan? There's things that, that, are, that are challenging us. Well, first of all, we need to have accountability. We need to have accountability with our among among Christ followers that will keep us in check. We got to be in prayer. We we got to make sure there's no secrets going on in our life because all of those things are hedges for the for the enemy to to control. And so we need a savior. Verse three it says, "Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." So like we said, Satan has, a, has dominion over this world. And we see it in many different ways as he misleads people against God. He makes use of every tool at his disposal to spread lies, to spread uh, uh, temptations, and to spread doctrinal differences. His goal is to keep as many people bound in spiritual deadness and away from biblical truth. And if, you, if you've said yes to Jesus in your life, and you have that relationship with him, you know, what, you know what we're talking about. To keep as many people bound in spiritual deadness and away from biblical truth. That's what he wants to do. 
That's why he wants Christianity to be casual. That's why he wants you to have a casual faith, something that's not really in depth with the word. Satan doesn't have no problem you coming to church. You can even read the Bible because if you don't apply the word, if you're not growing in the, in the body at church, then he's not impacted. He still has control over you. He still has dominion over you. And he's going to use the internet. He's going to use television. He's going to use print media, newspapers, magazines, academic institutions, all kinds of different things to be able to keep you from seeing who God is. And so we have to practice discernment. Whatever we hear and wherever we hear, it has to be compared to Scripture. That's why Stan said last week about studying Scripture. We all need to do better. I need to do better. Because it's when somebody says something to you, you're able to then refute what's being said because of what Scripture says. That's a big deal to us. It's a big deal as a Christ follower. One of the ways that Satan is gaining dominion in our lives, he's trying to undercut the, the family tradition that, we're, that we know of. He's trying to undercut it. He's trying to say that that family tradition, the thing that, that we always knew was right, things that we knew that we grew up with, he, he is trying to destroy it in any way that he can. And we have, we have to, as a church, as Christ followers, we have to, we have to be able to, to, to hold steady. We have to, to make sure that we're in the Word, that we understand that what the enemy is doing that throws those fiery darts at us so that we can be protected. So point number three is we need a Savior because of the condemnation to hell. We're condemned to hell. It's, 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 not, it's not a, uh, if that shocks you this morning, then, then we need to have a conversation because we're all condemned to hell if we, don't, if we don't have a Savior. Outside of Christ, all people who sin are subject to the wrath of God. That's, that's the before picture. How many, of you, how many of you have had a before picture, right? I mean, we all have the before picture, right? The picture that you're, like, you look back in the high school yearbooks, you go, yeah, that was a before picture. Let's just hold that up, right? And then you have the before picture of, of you know, your family where it was just you and, and your spouse. And, and you're like, oh, we were so cute back then. What happened? <laughs> you know, the before picture. And then you have the before picture with your, just you and your kids. And they were just little kids. And, and, and now, you know, they're getting older. So you have to have another picture. And, and then the before picture to that. Now, they have, now you have grandkids and all that type of stuff. It's, we all have... Those before pictures. And outside of Christ, people who are in sin are subject to the wrath of God. And that's the before picture. Thankfully, though, in this transition that we see in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 4, we move into the solution to the problem. We have a solution. That's one of the greatest things, as Pastor talked about a couple weeks ago, that he's given us tools in the fruit of the Spirit. He's given us tools so that we can understand how we can handle the things that we face. Verse 4 through 6, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and, ra and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
The apostle is showing us here the, the true reality of our condition. We were headed for the deepest and darkest part of hell with no escape. No escape until God moved. And that is an incredible understanding. We go to the deepest pit, to the soaring into heaven with our Father, and two amazing words. Two amazing words. But God. These little words, six letters, could well be some of the greatest words in the Bible. But God. Let's look at the story of Noah. Noah, for example, he wondered on the the ark. He was going back and forth. He was tending the sheep, tending the the cows, tending all the animals of the world. And it was day after day after day. And he finally probably kind of of got to the place of, oh my goodness, where's the land, God? Where's the land? I mean, we'd all been in those situations in life where we're we're trying to trust the Lord. We're trying to hang in there. And we're like, God, where, where is it? Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat, and he sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. Even when we don't feel the wind of hope, but God is alive in every situation. I want to tell you this morning that God is alive in your situation. You may feel like you're, you're going through the wilderness. You may feel like you're going around the ark looking for, for, for the things that you need to do, and you're asking yourself, where's God? Can I tell you that even when we don't feel like and we don't feel the wind of hope, but God is in every situation. We can look, we can look at the situation of the story of Joseph where his brother sold him into slavery and he thought he was dead. And yet God preserved him. He elevated Joseph to a position of great power in which he was in charge of the food supply and then famine struck. And we've all heard this story. His brothers appeared before him one day asking for food, and Joseph said to them, You intended to harm me, but God, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. There are moments that we may be lost. There may be moments that we are confused, but God has a plan for you. Can I encourage you this morning that God has a plan for you? Then we can look at the nation of Israel as they were getting ready to cross the Red Sea. An insurmountable obstacle. The Egyptian army was in hot pursuit. They didn't know where to go. They had nothing but water in front of them. The Egyptians were coming. They were looking, where do I need to go? How many of us have been in a situation like that? It says, but God intervened. And what looked like a hopeless situation became a time of glorious deliverance. The Bible tells us in Exodus 14, 29, but the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. We maybe feel like we're running in a way that we can't get out, but can I tell you, but God is providing dry ground for you today. You may feel like you're, you're getting drowned. You may feel like you're getting, you're getting to that place where there's no way out, but can I tell you that, but God has an experience for you. That is the love that the grace of our heavenly father. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, he says, but God, can anybody say, but God, I don't know about you, but I know that God gives eternal life. I know that today, no matter what you're struggling with, you can have a, but God experience and God can set you free. Once we were dead in sin, but God made us alive. This past Wednesday, uh, I was I was I was in Des Moines and and it was in the evening and we were at Valley West Mall 
the hopping mall, Valley West Mall, but my, we, my wife wanted to go shopping. And so guys, what do we do when our wives want to go shopping? We look for something else to do. <laughs> and they didn't have the Christmas train up yet to ride on it. So I was looking for some other things to do. And, and so I'm out in the, I'm out in the middle area and I'm just standing there and a guy, a guy walks out of a, one of the storefronts at an angle there from JCPenney and he walks out and, you know, and I'm kind of standing by the JCPenney and we, there wasn't a lot of people there. And so we just kind of do the man thing. Kind of did the nod and then we kind of, you know, said hi and we kept on kind of walking to each other and, and, uh, one thing led to the other, and I was like, well, what's going on? How, you know, what, what are you doing in there? And he goes, well, I'm opening up a new store. And uh, he had just opened up a store COVID. Uh, it was just down the way. He works on bikes and, and has different merchandise and stuff. And it, he, uh, he goes, I was, I was getting ready to open up a store, and then COVID hit, and I wasn't sure if I should do it. And he goes, God was just telling me. He said, God, God was saying, hey, you need to open up that store. He was having a but God moment. And he's opening up that store and people were telling him, don't do it. Don't do it. And from the day that he opened up that store to the current, from last Wednesday, he goes, I've never had a day off. Or I've never had a slow day. God was in it because he listened. He goes, I, I was doing good enough there. He goes, he works as a, as a, as a mailman in Des Moines. And, he, he, uh, uh, and remember, this is the first time we talked. Okay, and you give him, we're, just, we're just going back and forth. And he's like, I'm a mailman, and uh, God told me I needed to open up another store at the mall. And he goes, I, I, I wasn't sure exactly what to do. And every time that I said no, or every time I put the brakes on, God spoke to him again and said, you have a purpose in that store, and you need to be open. Can I tell you this morning that there are, there, there are moments in your life that God wants to speak to you and he's wanting you to do things. And sometimes we feel like, well, I don't know if it's right. Well, I don't know if I should. A, does it align with Scripture? B, if it does align with Scripture, we have to take a step of faith. And he goes, I kept on trying to put it off. I kept on trying to, to, to not do it. And finally, God just broke me down and said, I need to do it. He goes, I'm inside there and remodeling it and getting it ready. For the Christmas season. He goes, hey, will you come inside this inside and, and pray for, you know, because you're having that conversation. You kind of have little things, you know, exactly how do I, what do I need to say? And I wasn't sure exactly, you know, if he's just, you know, he's going to take me in that room and <laughs> you'd never see me again, you know. <laughs> but, but, but you get those little cues and he said something about prayer and he said something about God. And I said, okay. And I said, but hey, you know what? Not because I didn't have faith. But I said, let's, let's, let's pray out here. Let's, let's, let's pray in the, let's pray by the door as people go in. Because I really believe that people are going, this is where God needs to work on people. I said, this is where we need to pour out the anointing of God on this place. And so we're in the middle, in the middle of the mall, it was about seven o'clock at night. We just started praying. And I'm saying, Jesus, in Jesus' name, will you anoint these walkways? Will you protect these walkways? Will you make this door be a, be a shining light to those that need what he sells? And we just started praying. And can I tell you, it was probably encouraging me more than it was him. Because, because I did not walk into JCPenney on Wednesday night expecting to do any type of ministry that night. And it's not a pastor thing. It's not a, you know, you got to be in church for this. It's none of that. It was about 
just starting the conversation and seeing where it leads and giving opportunities for God to move. And so we, we exchanged numbers and we, um, he texted me the, the next day and, and, uh, cause I was preaching on Thursday and said, Hey, I hope you I hope you have a, a great message. And, and, uh, I texted him last night and the point, the point of that is, is that we all need to have a God, a but God moment. Once we were captive to Satan, but God set us free. I wonder if there's anybody else in this place today that's been backed up into the corner, been backed up in a wall. You didn't think that you could make it. You didn't think that you're going to get out. It looked like the devil was winning. It looked like there was nothing. There was the, all, the, all the stories, everything was, was going as if you were going to fail. You were in checkmate, and all of a sudden you had a but God moment. That, that is what we're talking about this morning. Is that if we're not a Christ follower, we, we do have a, a destiny to hell. It is written in the word. That's what Ephesians 1 through 3 is talking about. But now God gives us hope. He's making a transition. In verse 5 it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And Paul reiterates the condition. says that we were dead because of our sins, gratifying our sinful natures. And by nature what we're talking about is, is that we did what we did prior to following Christ. We sought to satisfy our own desires. Pleasing ourselves was the rule of the day. Jesus talked about, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, the broad way that leads to destruction. The gate is wide and the way is broad. A person entering the broad way never needs to deny himself. He never needs to say no to his own desires. And in a broad way, he can do what he wants. If he desires to tell him to look, to look at certain things on the internet, he can look at them. If he desires to binge watch television, he can do that. If he being a slave to work in order to try to secure a promotion or worldly recognition, he can do that. If he wants to sleep around, he can. After all, he tells himself, anything that I can do, I can do. The broad way is easy. Fellow travelers on this path are doing the same things and will not condemn you. For these are all selfish gratifications. But when a person says yes to Jesus, when a person begins a new nature and has a new, na- a new master and he follows the narrow way, The born-again believer seeks to please his heavenly master rather than satisfying his own flesh. A decision-making process is completely flipped around. Instead of asking, what gives me the most pleasure, he asks, what can I do to please my heavenly father? In verse 6 it says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we were united with Christ. This is something that is in the past that's been stated, but it's something in the future that's going to happen. It's like a reservation in the spot that has been held just waiting for us to arrive. Can I tell you this morning that even though the wide way seems to be, seems to be easy, the narrow path is what gets us the reward. In verse 7 and verse 8, it says, So that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Point number five says, faith in the face of temptation. Faith in the, in the, in the face of temptation. It means that from here on out, we will trust in your heart that the death of Christ has covered all your sins and you're guaranteed the promises on your behalf. So it, it would be like if you want to steal something 
But instead, you're going to trust in the Lord that he will provide. Philippians 4.19 says, He will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is there. It would be like if you were tempted to lie and get yourself out of a jam. Instead, you trust in the promises of God. In Psalms 84.11, The Lord withholds no good thing from those who walk upright. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. But our faith will face temptations. Our faith will face the temptation at moments in time But we have to understand that the point within this message is very clear. Salvation is grace through faith. A person cannot be saved by good works. Going to church cannot save you. Praying cannot save you. Giving to the poor cannot save you. Reading the Bible cannot save you. Being baptized cannot save you. Singing in the choir uh, or worship team cannot save you. Doing ministry for God cannot save you. Salvation is 100% God working in our life. And so when we think about faith and we think about temptation that we're going to face, who do we rely on? Who is the one that we draw to in that, in that moment? Verse 9 and 10 says, Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of us may think about good deeds when we look at this verse. Good deeds can't save us. But the reason why we, or the reason when we become a Christ follower, good deeds become part of what we do. Point number six says nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible. I don't know what, where, where you're at today. I don't know, you know, what your particular struggle is. I don't know what type of step of faith that you're taking. I don't know what, what dreams that you're having that you want to be able to, to take that next step. I don't know exactly where all that is. I don't know what your, you know, your concerns are. But can I tell you, nothing is impossible for God. Because we need to understand that there's a but God moment. There's a but God moment in what we need to do and how we need to go after it. Matthew 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Our good works will display the handiwork of God. When you do something for somebody else, as we watch that video, and you're willing to do that, you begin to, people begin to see that there's a difference in you. That you're not doing that for selfish desires, you're doing it for the kingdom because of what God's doing inside of you. So as we close today, no matter where you're living, no matter how hard life has been, God saves you. No matter where you're living, no matter how hard life has been, God, but God makes it right. No matter where you're living, no matter how hard life has been, but God can give you hope. No matter where you're living, no matter how hard life has been, but God always gets it right. See, our faith has been tested. Our faith will be tested. But what we're saying this morning is how important it is to be able to say what we're doing in here is making an impact out there. What we do outside these walls of the church has to be proof of what God is doing in our heart. 
We don't need to be the loudest church or the biggest church. We just need to be a church that reflects Jesus. And I believe that, I believe that God, between what Pastor has, has preached on the, the empowerment series to what um, Sid talked about last week, I believe God is opening up parameters. I believe God is opening up heaven for blessing. I believe God is opening up uh, the opportunities for the kingdom of God to grow through what Central Church is doing. And it's happening because, because of this. It's happening because our faith is being tested and we're being an example of how we're handling that. As we become more like Jesus, it's going to impact how we live with our roommate, how we live with our spouse, how we live with our friend. As we, as we become more like Jesus, it's going to impact how we are at work. It's going to impact how we are in our neighborhood. It's going to impact that wherever our campus is, wherever, whether it's in Creston, whether it's in Carroll, whether it's online, wherever that may be, the community that's around that campus should have a better reflection of Jesus because we are in it. Our town of Carroll should have a better reflection of Jesus because we are in it. Because we are a Christ follower, because we have said, we have said yes to Him and no to the enemy. I love our experience of worship. I love our time together in the Word. I love our encouragement that we have with each other and the fellowship and the connecting relationally. All of those things are incredible. But ultimately, everything that has to, that, that we do has to have a result in bringing help and hope to our community. If you're looking for discipleship, if you're looking for growth, then you should be the one on the front line saying, Jesus, use me. Not the one that sits in the back row. No offense to those in the back row. <laughs> but those in the back row that are saying, oh, no, they don't do anything for me. Can I tell you, when, we, when, 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 when that couple that was dealing with separation, divorce, hurt, struggles, and they got into a connect group and started getting impact and their lives started turning around, can, can I tell you that is the greatest reward that you can have growing in your faith? is being a part of a connect group that you're together as a brother and sister in Christ, sharing your concerns and your hurts and your loves and your passions, and being able to pray for them when they're hurting. It's the greatest reward that we can have. It's about being that reflection of Jesus, getting help and hope to our community. And when I see each and every one of you, and I have a chance to talk with you, I hear stories of what God is doing in your life, and that is incredible. And there's so much more that God wants. Because the enemy is going gonna, is gonna to continue to pick at us. And it's going to continue to throw out uh, uh, busyness in our schedule. And all, we have, all, all I can say with that is, and that includes me as well. All I can say is, when there's a moment that arises, have a spirit of help. believe that when, when, matter of fact, I won't call anybody out yet because we have to close here, but there, there, there was an individual here in, at church that I called up a couple years ago and I said, Hey, I need your help. Had a situation and, and they could have easily just said, I don't got time. Okay. And it wasn't for me personally. It was for a dear friend of mine, but they could have said, I don't got time. They didn't. 
See, we have to, we have to understand what is it that the impact that we have. It doesn't have to be a four hour discussion. It could be a 10 minute, a 10 minute phone call. But God is our refuge. God is our strength. But God is our very present help in trouble. And I want to encourage you today as I wrap it up. Are we willing to trust in Christ? Are we willing to trust in Jesus? By grace, you are saved through faith. So I urge you today to trust in Jesus. Trust him with your sin. Trust him with your relationships. Trust him with your job. Trust him with your schoolwork. Trust him with your health. Trust him with your money and leisure and trust him with your future. Because all of those things lead us to eternity. And one day we are going to be standing before him at the judgment gate. And we're going to be accountable as Christ followers what we do here on this earth. We're not going to be judged according to whether or not we're making it to heaven or hell. That's already taken care of when we accept him. But we're going to be judged in heaven at that, play, at that moment of what we do here on this earth as Christ followers. And so I say that only to tell you that we have a job to do. We have a job to do. For it is great. For our God is great and he's great of wonders. He makes the dead to live. He sets the captive free. And he will spend eternity lavishing the riches of his kindness on those who trust him. There's not a day, an hour, a minute that's going to go by that he's not thinking of how he can bless you and how he can be there for you and how he can help you in the, in, in the pursuit that you have for him. Amen.